What's going on, guys? 2018, first podcast of the semester and year. Um, it's February 6th. I know I'm kind of late. Uh, the last recording was like mid-December, and I haven't been able to get a guest on since then. Uh, finals, winter break, and then transitioning into the new semester, focusing on paying off my uh, credit card bills and all that stuff. But, you know, nonetheless, I'm still here. I didn't quit. I'm still going. Today, I talked to my old friend, Rihat uh, Manan. He was the former president of the Muslim Student Association here on Stony Brook campus. And in the conversation, we talk about a lot of things, but mainly my focus was uh, his the, the, the role of religion in his life. Both of us come from a first-generation immigrant family, but the difference between us is drastic. And it's not, you know, good or bad in any way or sense. It's just, you know, what has happened to happen to us and the routes that we decided to take. So we kind of delve into our backgrounds. We talk about the role of the Muslim Student Association on campus, um, the role of uh, Islamic people within uh, general American culture today. Um, we kind of just talk about, you know, the modern and up-and-coming Muslim generation in American society uh, to kind of give a better idea of those who are out there. Um, I am kind of sick, so there's probably going to be a lot of sniffling through the recording, and I'm sorry about that. Well, there, I did it again. But uh, I tried my best not to. At times, I actually even muted the mic because I had to sneeze really bad. But uh, it should, it should, it shouldn't be that bad. But we talk about a lot of things. I actually learned a lot from him about my own religion. Sad to say, I'm kind of uncultured. It made me realize that uh, I should probably know more than I do. But I think for anyone uh, in general public, students, they could probably get a good takeaway from listening to uh, someone in this society, uh, you know, group of people. Because at the end of the day, I mean, they exist, we exist, Muslim society exists, and they're an ever-growing population. And, I mean, why not learn a little bit more than you knew yesterday, you know? I learned some stuff. I liked it. I personally think it was educational. Uh, so without further ado, um, episode 13 with Rihat. Anyway, I think we spent the first two minutes talking about Fortnite, so just, yeah, sorry about that. But Fortnite's a great game. Just plug real quick. Uh, it's fun. It's addicting. If you have not played it, play the game. Uh, okay, yeah. And here we go. worth of grades and all my assignments this is gaming in the beginning of the semester yeah actually um my computer broke down in the summer okay and it was one that i had from high school and then me and Kishan, uh we worked Upgrade. like he, he helped me yeah and built it because if i because i thought about it if i build a pc it would last me years like I, i'll never need a new computer anytime soon yeah um i can just upgrade the ram or whatever uh that i need or that graphic card but you play fortnite <laughs> yeah yeah, not on PC though. I've been playing it on Xbox because all all of us just like sitting outside playing Fortnite. Bro, it's so addicting, man. It's this is what I was telling my friends. It's the they use the kind of uh, blueprint to app ideas yeah. where it's like easily repetitive. 
it's like you die and you want to go again yeah and you don't have to spectate anyone so yeah. you just leave and you just keep going again it's exactly. so addicting yeah I but know. on top of that they've been patching it and they keep making new game modes that are really fun like the sniper one it's, there's a sniper game mode yeah there's a sniper game mode now it's I only uh there's two types of snipers and the pistols and that's it wow I've, yeah. I've never got a sniper kill yet <laughs> it's it's math it's so satisfying getting a sniper kill also because they have drop in it too which you wouldn't expect but they they have a little bit of drop so you'd have to aim a little above them oh okay yeah. which you wouldn't think they put in the physics engine but they did damn that's and they also introduced a, a minigun to the regular game mode which i haven't used yet a minigun yeah what's that you don't know what, i don't know how to explain a minigun like a like a turret oh. in your hand oh yeah yeah, yeah, okay. yeah yeah but yeah it's fun we've been playing a lot lately but um so i'm gonna go into you being here now uh, we've been recording. Uh, I actually want to start with your family background because what I'm going to be talking about in this recording is mainly just your kind of upbringing and like your affiliations with you know the Muslim society and all that. Because personally, like I find it interesting because I you know same thing come from a first generation you know immigrant family, but I took a very different route, um, and I just think it's interesting you know how both of us coming from a similar background, you know, took kind of a different route in, you know, our affiliations with the, the religion. So I kind of want to just say, uh, you know, ask you your original family background, you know, where they're from, uh, when they got here, stuff like that. So I just want you to start talking with that. Sure. Um, so both my parents are from Bangladesh. They came to America around uh, 1990, 1991. Uh, before that, they used to work in Saudi Arabia. They got a lottery uh, visa to go to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And they worked in the King's Hospital. And then from there, my dad got another lottery visa to come to the United States. And then Damn, he's winning lotteries. Out yeah. He's <laughs> been a lucky guy. He's been a lucky guy. And then after that... Wait, so was he... When was he with your mom? Uh, he was with my mom in Bangladesh. In, okay, so, yeah. so so he went to... Okay, so he got to Saudi Arabia and then applied yeah. for her. Yeah. And, and then, then she went to Saudi Arabia and then got the lottery here. And then exactly. Came yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Exactly. And um, so when we were in America, when he was in America... Um, he was working like two, three jobs and my mom was working also two jobs. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, my sister was born. So he couldn't really, he's a pharmacist by profession Mm -hmm. and, uh, he couldn't really like, uh, um, you know, renew his license here because it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And, um, so he just went the business route and uh, like three, four years later, he had enough money to start a laundromat. Mm -hmm. And so he made a laundromat and then one led to another, to led to another and then, became really well off after that that's i mean that's that's the american dream right there um so in terms of and you know again this is just like the central team theme i I'm, we're gonna be talking about other things but it's just i just like tying it back to this is yeah. i want to say you know were your parents always religious oh uh, yeah from from a very early age my my dad was very very religious because um it all came from my grandfather mm-hmm. my grandfather used to like instill a lot of religious beliefs in my dad and my dad was the eldest, so he had to, like, for, for all of his siblings, he had to be that role model, mm-hmm. you know? Like, after my grandfather passed away, um, my dad was providing for my entire family from Saudi Arabia. Okay. So, and... Um, Do you think him being in Saudi Arabia had more of an impact? Because, from generally speaking, I've, I've been in Bangladesh. Um, I'd say, cumulatively, I've been there for a year of my life. Mm-hmm. Though it is a religious community and a predominantly Muslim society, I think... Overall, there are a larger amount of people there who are a little less religious than you'd expect, um, compared to Saudi Arabia, which I think are more, you know, 
concrete in their belief and you know how they think about the religion. I agree with that to some extent, um, but where my dad is from in, in the village, mm-hmm. it's a very uh, and back then also it, it was a very uh, simpler lifestyle. You right. Know? Uh, as um, Bangladesh became more, you know, industrious, industrialized, commercialized, all yeah, that yeah. stuff, the city areas became similar to New yeah. York City, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, although not as great as New York City, the people still act and do the same things. Yeah. I mean, they're they're advancing technologically, culturally, and they're getting more integrated with the global scale. Yeah, they're 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 becoming modern. You know? Yeah. And so that also has an effect right now. But back then. In the village areas, there was no such thing as modernization. You know, okay, they they're very uh, stuck with their cultural roots, mm-hmm. and um, with culture comes religion as mm-hmm. well. You know, so that was instilled in my family, and then my dad. Obviously, when he moved to Saudi Arabia, um, you know, it was more predominant Muslim. You know, mm-hmm. like people were praying d- in, d- in, in their jobs. You know, yeah, yeah, and oh, that's another big thing is that it's it's intertwined with the society in terms of you know the workforce and everything right right so it makes it easier to do everything that you need to do like for example in saudi arabia right oh, we pray five times a day mm-hmm. so um every prayer they would when the yeah, alarm would, when, when the alarm would go off all the stores would shut down like you oh, can't no. buy anything you know that's really i mean i mean it makes sense it's, but that's yeah I never, I never i never knew that yeah so that i mean that just off the bat that just you know lets him follow the, the rules of, of the religion without any issue yeah because here I mean like I think this, this is a big distinction I also want to just bring this up really quick is that my dad came here in 1970 mm-hmm. uh, and his family back when they were in Bangladesh so he was 12 in 1970 when they were in Bangladesh they were already in the city so they were in Tanmundi which mm-hmm. was like a very like rich little area um, and they had money back then yeah and then they came here pretty early on so you know he grew up here so I think that's a that's a big difference. I think between our parents, I just want to bring that up before I forgot. So he moved here earlier. Yeah, he moved here very early. So he was more intertwined with the society here. Mm. Um, so I think because of that, praying kind of already, you know, left his system in a way. Where it's like you know you go to school, you start doing the things you do here. You know you start working a job, you start working a nine to five, this and that. Yeah. And it's not as intertwined in American culture, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that makes a huge difference. Of course, yeah. And and uh, your dad, he came here during the early days, right? So, yeah. like, during that time, there was not a lot of Muslims. There was not a lot of mosques to begin yeah, with, you yeah. know? So his support system wasn't there, mm-hmm. you know, as where my dad and my mom both had a huge support system, yeah. you know? I mean, even in the, the 90s in, in America, uh, I talk to my mom about this all the time. When my mom first came here, she came here in 1996 mm. uh, or 95, 94. A year or two before I was born, I was I was messed up the year. But she she always talks to me about it because she compares what it was then to what it is today uh, for her siblings that are coming over. And she would tell me that when she was here back then, she would never find other Bengali people. She would never find like other Muslim people. It was difficult to to you know find areas of uh, you know people from the same cultural background. And when you did, like you make sure you stayed with them because you had that sense of security. Yeah. Versus now, it's like you go anywhere, you find a million Bengali people. Like, like just for example, Jamaica, right? Jamaica yeah. Muslim Center. Yeah. Just uh, Hillside Avenue, like ten years ago, where it was completely like white and black, mm-hmm. you know. And now it's it's all a, Bangladesh. I pro- I'd say probably like eighty-five to ninety percent Bengali people. Yeah. It's every time I'm there, it's it kind of it's a culture shock. Yeah, it, it it's looks like Bangladesh, smells like Bangladesh. <laughs> it smells like Bangladesh. It's kind of it's kind of bad. Yeah. And it's. 
as populated as mine. It has that like dense population feeling exactly, to it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the next thing I actually want to go into was uh, your affiliation with uh, Jamaica Muslim Center. Okay. Because, well, one, did you start learning like you know Islamic teachings from JMC? Yeah. So, um, so as far as my Islamic teachings go, from a very young age, well, from pre-K to fourth grade, I went to a Shia school called Razi. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not Shia. Muslim, I'm Sunni Muslim, mm-hmm. but uh, my dad thought that would be the best place to have a good, decent education and some Islamic knowledge. Oh, so you went to uh, uh, one of those dual schools, where it's like a regular school and Islamic school t- yeah, yeah. together? Yeah, okay. okay. Um, and it's called Razi. And over there, I mean, I had some good friends, had some like basic Islamic teachings. And at the same time, on the weekends, I would go to, you know, JMC, mm-hmm. right? So for like memorizing Quran. Yeah. Um, and learning like the basic etiquettes and stuff like that, so I was brought up in that culture to begin with. In that, so setting. how many years did you go to that school? Was that just elementary school, or did you stay through? So I moved at fourth grade from to to, to middle school to a regular middle school. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a pretty long time from pre K all the way to fourth grade. Yeah, so from, from a very young age, I was surrounded by like you know that that culture, the yeah. background. The, you had the support system from a very young age. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, because I never asked you any of these questions, but for me, I didn't start, uh, for those of you who don't know, I come from also a Sunni Muslim family, first generation immigrants, all that stuff, but I didn't start learning the teachings until, I want to say, somewhere around third or fourth grade. Mm. I went to Dar es Salaam by Hillside. It's like right near, it's right near Jamaican Muslim Center, but that was back when they were just like in a house. It was like really ghetto. It was not, it was not a good uh, little house. It was bad. Uh, now it's a really nice nice mostly they ha- got a lot of funding yeah. but I went there and it was only for the weekends so I went to a regular elementary school and I'd say I wasn't really that dedicated to it probably just because of the fact that like I started kind of later on mm. and then I think around middle school I switched to JMC I started going on the weekends and then even at that I wasn't that dedicated but I, I kept going I learned a lot and then for financial reasons my parents switched me over to uh, tutoring online mm. um, through a teacher in Pakistan. Oh, and snap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it was it was actually, I think it was faster and I learned better because it would be every weekend for two hours on Saturday and Sunday. So two hours each Saturday and Sunday. Um, just two hours and we'd, you know, recite. He'd tell me the meanings. He'd tell me the story. Like, he'd go through everything. Like, it was one-on-one. And it was very, very personal. And I went through uh, learning the entire Quran, reading it. Uh, I think this was high school. So this was... Ninth and tenth grade, I think, and then eleventh grade, I just became a degenerate. It <laughs> was a quick transition. I mean, so so for me, right, when I transitioned from um, private Islamic school to public middle school, um, you know, I could see the change. Looking back at it right now, you know, I quickly transformed from being a good Muslim boy mm-hmm. to you know starting to pick up cursing to to. Uh, you know, cheating mm-hmm. to stealing, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So, again, it goes back to the people around you, your environment, how you're brought up with. Because right. that support system is so important at a young it's, age. It's the foundation of, yeah. you know, your moral compass, kind of. Yeah. And I think with, with Islam, it's very important to have moral... Like, I think the main teachings of Islam have to do with moral compass. Because for me, though I didn't have, you know... The sh- you know as strong of a foundation where like I went to a Islamic school right. my mom would always you know try to try to instill every value that she found the most important into me as a child she's like you yeah. know these are the important things doesn't matter to me whether you 
you know, pray five times a day or not. You need exactly. to know that these morals are the ones that which we enforce and, you know, need to follow. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's important. I mean, that support system, it goes back to that. Um, so you started at four years old. That's so young. So when did you start playing a bigger role at JMC? Because I know you've always had, every time I go for Eid prayer, um, you're always doing something for JMC. You know, you're working with them. Yeah, so... Um this is around high school, actually. Uh, in high school, I had like a little dip in my, you know, faith, mm-hmm. and then towards tenth or eleventh grade, I started getting more involved. One of my mentors, his name is Muhammad Hassan. Mm-hmm. He's a psychologist by trade, and also he lectures on, you know, the Quran and Islam and psychology involved mm-hmm. in the Quran as well. And so, he uh, he started up this youth program in JMC. And it started off with me just giving up, like, you know, like, serving people drinks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then after a while, like, you know, every Friday I would come back. And he started increasing my role slowly, slowly, because I right. saw that I was coming every week, you know. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I started, you know, creating events, making yeah. events. And then I became uh, part of the marketing team and then became assistant youth director mm-hmm. to him. And then after that, he left. And then I became the youth director. Of GMC. Okay. So and what's your role as the youth director? So, well, I was youth director for about two years. Right now, I, uh, I took a leave because mm-hmm. you know, I want to focus on my career and yeah, things yeah. like that. And so while I was there as youth director, I was, you know, helping uh, the masjid create events catered to youth and adults, mm-hmm. you know, to bring the, to, to basically gap the, the bridge. Okay. And um, so like an older generation to today's youth, like the kind of like those who were born into American culture. Right, and just like foster events that uh, create dialogue between our older generation mm-hmm. and the younger generation okay. because there is a disconnect. Between no, 100% them. there's a yeah. disconnect. I mean, there's a disconnect even if you're just born here and your parents were born here just because of technology and stuff. Exactly. So on top of that, if you're an immigrant and all the changes happening in the last you know decade, like that gap is one that's so difficult to fill. Exactly, and also at the same time, you know, the youth program in its essence was just another way to have fun on a Friday night without violating the principles of Islam, you know? Okay. And that's what, that's what essentially it was for. But it became so much more. It became a support system. It became a mentorship mm-hmm. for, for young kids. You know, we don't, at that youth program, we don't just teach people Islam. We teach people, like, you know, how to deal with their emotions, mm-hmm. how to cope with um, drugs, how to uh, get over breakups. You know, we would talk mm-hmm. about in these gatherings, we would talk about relationships. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, it's, we're all human, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I try I to do. That's really interesting because this is, I don't really want to go too in-depth into this, but I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is. Oh. Jordan Peterson. Nah. Okay, so he's a psychologist out of Canada and all, you know, there's been an uprising of him kind of, stirring the crowd of what he says on uh, mm-hmm. people trying to better themselves yeah. so I'm going to sum it up very you know as fast as I can and not really go into it but he discusses how uh, the younger generation doesn't have a kind of a system set up for them to tell them what to do or help them you know deal with these problems and he doesn't have a system where like you're saying like you don't people who are you know dealing with breakups and such and you know social problems there's not a system to tell them, it's like, this is what you need to do. You know, we're just focusing on learning and moving on. But you need that, you need that system to, to get information from an older generation. And he's kind of, like, trying to fill that gap in. But, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's like, okay, you want to learn from the older generation because they went through everything that you went through, mm-hmm. if not more, you mm-hmm. know? The information is already there. 
It's just about finding the right people and accessing that information. Why would you go through the same process again and not, and go through a harder way of learning that information, you know? Without, I mean, let's say for example, like you when you become a dad, right? Mm-hmm. You would want your son to come to you for advice, you know, on right. things, right? And it, that's the main thing, the communication issue between the older and the younger generation. It's so prevalent. And I have this conversation all the time with uh, Pravin from my sweet is that I think, uh, I, don't, I don't know for, for other immigrant families, but specifically the brown community, you know, people from kind of Asian descent, uh, like Indians or Bengali people. Yeah. Pakistani people even it's like though like sometimes we I don't know if this happened to you we want to talk to our parents we don't know how or you know what to communicate to them because there's a part of us it's like how do we tell them this like they're not going to be okay with us talking to them about this problem and then the you know the backlash of us telling them about it is enough fear where we just don't talk about it because I know for me my my high school experience like I was having and you probably know about this because we went to high school together, but I was doing a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, like, probably wasn't, you know, the best for a high school student. My parents didn't want it to be going on. But obviously, like, I would never bring it up to them. I would never talk to them about it or, like, discuss the issue. And it would just it would just be a problem that would get worse and worse. And they wouldn't understand and I wouldn't understand. And that communication gap, since we never talked, they, it would never, you know, they would never be filled. So we never really understood each other. Whereas now, since I'm a little bit older, there's a part of me that understands that I have to be the one that opens up to them because they don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, so I kind of like am more mature with that. It's like I'm okay with the, the fear. I'm okay with like just telling them and, you know, having the backlash because at the end of the day, it's going to make our understanding of each other better. Though they won't like completely get it, like the understanding aspect of it will be kind of filled. Yeah, so um, you're talking about communicating with your parents. Like I didn't used to, I mean, my dad and I, we used to have a really good relationship and then middle school came, you know, when I transferred and I just started beco- becoming up, like, tight and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And um, around 11th grade, I decided to, like, you know, talk to my dad more when I had, like, coming back to the religion yeah, side, yeah. you know. And I talked to my dad about everything now, like, mm-hmm. legit about everything. We talked about my friends in high school, mm-hmm. you know, how one of my friends had a drinking problem, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Talk about Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, drugs, we talk about girls, we talk about everything, you know. See, like, I still haven't gotten there with my parents. Yeah. Like, kind of with my mom, maybe a little bit, but there's still some things that I'm, like, not uh, okay with disclosing because I still don't know what they would say. Right. Like, I wouldn't talk about dating. Mm. Um, a lot of my friends who are girls, like, they'll know this. Like, I usually don't invite them to my house. <laughs> Just because, like, like, I don't know what will happen, but I'm kind of scared, so I just don't, like, I don't want to do it still, which is I'm not weird. trying to find out. Yeah, I'm not trying to find out, because, like, but it's weird, because I'm 21, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a grown man at this point, almost, mm-hmm. and, like, that's just kind of... Like, you know, your parents don't care what age you are, though. Yeah, beat exactly. you no matter what. Because, okay, this is, this is, I think this is what really traumatized me, is that the one time I did bring uh, a female home was when I was dating her. Mm. and it was Tiffany and you know she was Asian and then my parents find out I was dating her and they're like oh my god like what are you doing and then I kind of like went down a rabbit hole of like horror like just gotten getting in trouble so I think that kind of traumatized me to the point where it's like I just don't even want to try anymore like mm. <laughs> so but again that's like a, that's a communication problem there so it's like I, I don't know how to approach that you know what I mean oh well, I mean for me well with my dad it's really easy because my dad's a businessman mm-hmm. and so like um, and also with the, the Islamic background as well, he realizes that, you know, like, after the age of, like, 12 or 13, in Islam, you're considered an adult. Yeah. So, 
he has to start treating me like an adult. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I'm responsible for my own actions. Like, right. I think the problem is, a, a big problem in parenting today is, especially Middle Eastern parenting, yeah. is that the parents try to have too much control over yeah, their children. Yeah, I agree with that. I right? agree with that. And what my dad did was he let me make the mistakes, mm-hmm. right? He gave me the advice. He let me make the mistakes, and he realized I would realize mm-hmm. that he's right. Yeah. And I was I would always come back to him, mm-hmm. right? So once he started implementing that, I started following his advice yeah. more strictly, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of weird because the less control he had over me, the more I would follow his advice. Yeah, yeah. I th- honestly, it's it's a lot of truth to that because for me. It's similar but different because I always I kept getting in trouble. Was that with my parents? They were that controlling type. They wanted to know everything that I was doing, where I was, everything like you know constantly. So I did the exact opposite. I didn't listen to anything they said. I just went out of my way and did everything wrong. But then on my own, I realized the wrongs and then I came back. Yeah. And then so like they saw like the deviation from you know being good to bad and then coming back to it and like realigning myself. So I think that there's a better understanding there. That's awesome. Yeah. The second part I want to go into is uh, how you've seen the growth in JMC. Because, I mean, like you said, that, you know, Hillside and Jamaica, that area right there is just, it's so densely populated with Bengali and (laughs) Muslim people right now. It's it's crazy. But um, I want you to just really quickly, do you remember the number for the Eid prayer last year? I don't know if you remember. It was around like seven, uh, I don't know, 12,000. 12, that, like that, that is an outrageous number. Also, I remember some uh, official came out from the local government. I forgot who uh, it was. I forgot her name. I, we had de Blasio come out too. Yeah, cause yeah. That, that, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I forgot like, that girl's name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, she came out to kind of, you know, reinforce like what we were doing and give yeah. us faith that like this is okay in our community now yeah but uh how have you seen that growth since you started you know and it's only been a couple of years but since you started a couple of years ago to now so um when i first started as being the official youth director like um we were taking a dip in the youth team because of the transition from our first to second and then i was a third mm-hmm. so second to third um, so the second youth director actually, um, he was working hard, but he had a lot of things going on at the same time. And so that youth program kind of dipped. Mm-hmm. But when I took over, I tried to build it back up. And always on the when you're trying to build something, it's hard. When yeah. it's there on the top, it's very easy to maintain yeah. it, you know. Um, so I, I had to struggle with a lot of things like, um, you know, volunteers. Because all of this is free, mm-hmm. you know. So volunteers being, you know, strict with their time doing their the things that they need to do but after all of that you know you see the the fruits of your labor when the community grows and we have our juma prayers our mm-hmm. friday juma prayers which went from a thousand to maybe 1500 people okay right and, and this is of course of how much over how much time a couple of months okay yeah, yeah a year or two years um give or take and um we i, I started to see kids taking break from Edison during, you know, their lunch break. To come pray? To come pray. Wow. Yeah, and so we had to actually do a third Jummah. Like, mm-hmm. we would have two Jummahs, one for people who are, um, you know, working right. early, and then one for the later shifts, mm-hmm. right, at, on Hillside. Mm-hmm. And we had to do a third Jummah that's earlier than all of the, the, the rest of them. For the high school? For the high school kids. Okay. And so... Was there enough high school kids where that was warranted? Uh, it was like 40 or 50 high school kids. Okay, so, because, so, yeah, you know, we have a Jamaica High there as well. Yeah, And, and yeah, they yeah. cut up Jamaica High into like four different schools or something like that. 
So, I thought they were getting rid of Jamaica High School. Like, they did. Completely. They they got rid of the name. They just four different schools now on in, inside what? the building. Yeah, it's weird. but it's the same building. Yeah, yeah. So why don't they just make it one conglomerate high school still? Uh, That's that dumb. Okay, I know. Queens. So they would come from there as well, and you know it was just nice. Like the, you could see like the kids were growing, mm-hmm. you know, and they were trying to get to know their religion more. Right. And uh, that's in part because of the work that we do at the youth team. Mm-hmm. And uh, not no credit to me. It's all credit to the volunteers who give out their, their right. hearts for right, the right. team, you know? So, yeah. Just do me a favor really quick. Don't. don't oh, yeah. my bad. No, no, you're good. It's just, it clips the mic a little bit. Um, so, you said around like 11th, 11th grade, you started getting more back into, you know, uh, religious background. Yeah. Talking to your dad and stuff. Towards like the that. end of 11th grade. Yeah. yeah. So, coming into college, right? So, this is kind of... I think it's interesting because coming into college usually, and you know, I'm a good example of that. When you come to college, you're like, I want to do college things. You know what I mean? Especially because, I mean, you're born here just like me. Yeah. Is you want to you explore. You want to do all the, you know, crazy stuff. You want to drink. You want to do this. You want to do that. But you did the opposite. You know, you, you decided to take a role uh, and be a part of the, the Muslim Student Association on campus, right? So was that off the bat, like just your freshman year, you're like, I you know, want to find people I want to talk to. And uh, this makes sense for me, or was it kind of like it found you type of thing? So it's a little bit of both. Um, one of my closest friends, considering him a mentor and a brother as well, he lives right next to me in Queens. His name is Nafis. Mm-hmm. Um, call him Big Bro. Shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like we in my freshman year, uh, instead of dorming, he said, you know, come live with me off campus. Okay. And so we had this small house, five six people. Um, all Muslim guys and he kind of like took me in under his wing you know mm-hmm. and then first day of school you know how you have to like go to your classes make friends yeah. so instead of going to my classes I went straight to the union with him Okay. And, like he dragged me along and he introduced me to all the MSA people Yeah. and the, I don't know if you remember this the union the second floor yeah had the had the small like praying area the praying and, area and, and that was the hub for yeah. all the MSA kids yeah. right and so he was introducing me to like maybe 20-30 guys like giving me their names I'm like alright I'm not probably not going to remember this you know but I just shook their hands and they're also welcoming you know and again that's I mean it goes back to the the security of knowing that they're from the same cultural background yeah exactly and they were very accepting of me you know like well, I was just like a random freshman right you know and then they were accepting me as like a brother you know Yeah. and within a matter of a week I felt like I belonged there I felt Mm -hmm. like uh, I knew them for longer than just a week you know and I really, I really enjoyed that feeling, and as I continued with my freshman year, mm-hmm. I just became part of the MSA. Okay. You know, and I made. So you were just like a regular member. Yeah, just helping out. We in our year, our freshman year, we probably had maybe ten or fifteen freshman guys mm-hmm. in our group because we made our our little own group, and those were like some of the best days, chill days I've ever had with them. You know, and it shows that like I don't need to go party, drink. You know, do all these things right. that I'll probably feel bad about later. Yeah. To have fun, you know, I could have fun on my own with these group of guys. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the quality of people around you that you have. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, for me, I I've probably mentioned this on on a bunch of other recordings, but I came into college, and you've you've met a couple of my sweet mates, of course, multiple times. I've lived with them all through the the four years here. Yeah. Um. Though we they did have more of that mentality of uh, college partying type of thing, 
a lot of the times we won't even do anything we'll just be hanging out yeah. and that's like some of the best times that we've, we've had and we'll have yeah some of the best times are like not even playing video games or watching movies just like sitting down on the couch talk, talking yeah. yeah and actually that's I, I've mentioned this too is that's the reason I wanted to start the podcast is you know we realized having conversations just sitting down talking to people was just fun like it's a good thing to do and I personally like took 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 that to heart and I was like I want to just keep talking to people I love it yeah because uh, you get so much from people and and a big thing about college is you know you meet people of so many different backgrounds so same thing with them say so you probably met people from different backgrounds but you had <laughs> you had something that was similar something that yeah. held you together at the same time so it made it easier to connect yeah that's right I mean I'm gonna say uh, different backgrounds not so much it's just generally from the Middle East okay. but I mean but I mean, like, there, exper- experiences definitely. Maybe. Yeah, different experiences for sure. You know, when you talk to a person and he starts telling you about his life or her life, mm-hmm. you know, just so much behind that person. You know, like you only see the outside. Yeah, you yeah, don't know yeah. what somebody's going through on the yeah. inside. And just knowing all of that about somebody makes you closer to that to that person. And make yeah. and when you guys relate those stories to your own life, you guys build a bond. You know, yeah. and that that's that's a very genuine feeling. Yeah, it's crazy crucial to you know social understanding and being a full person in my opinion mm. so when in the uh, your role in MSA when did it kind of increase was it was the same as your role in uh, Jamaica Muslim Center where it was just like over time you kind of adopted more responsibilities and you're you know since you were such a big part of it you were just you know it just made sense as a decision to you know play a larger role yeah so like in my freshman year I started off with you know just getting to know the people helping setting up for prayers you know mm-hmm. maybe doing like a talk or two I gave the the Friday sermon one time in my freshman year and then the next year I applied to become an extended board member like part of community e-board. service yeah, yeah e-board yeah not not official board oh okay, okay. yeah like we have a lower tier okay you know um, and I was like the community service co-head mm-hmm. and so we were like uh, we were instructed to make two or three events a month uh, for community service, like you know, go to like a shelter or a orphanage or something like okay. that, and I felt really good doing those things. You know, on campus, people came out to those events. There were the events were majority off campus, okay, and we would have to go on the weekend, sacrifice a Saturday, go off campus, go to a place for a couple hours, and then you know. And this was with those same like group of people. Yeah. The same same, group same of friends. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that just solidifies your bond even more. You're just doing stuff together. Yeah, and not, not the same group. It could be different groups. Yeah, like, yeah. But, but, like, overall, it solidifies them within the, the club. community and yeah. the club. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then from there, um, my third year, I became the president of the MSA. Mm-hmm. And that was a... So, you were only president for a year? Yeah, only oh, for okay, a year. Oh, okay, okay. I, I kind of got burned out. And at the same time, I wanted to... Um, Take a step, t- take a step back, and focus on myself for okay. a bit. Um, and not to, not to say that I still don't want to help the community. I just want to take a pause, work on myself, and in the future have a greater impact on the community. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, you're just trying to kind of restructure your balance in life, right? Which is logical, especially for a college student trying right. to get a get a job out of college. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult out here. Is there is there any point in time you think you I mean, I think you said this before, but did you ever feel left out in any way from, you know, because you know a lot of people that are, are on this campus, um, other than people in that community, definitely. Like, when people had mentioned the stuff that they were doing, is there every, any point in time where you felt left out? Um, I felt left out a couple of times, you know, but 
I would always go back to my 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 group of friends, you know, like yeah, kind of like yeah. hide back in my hole. But after so I, I after junior year, after I stopped being the president, that's when I realized how much of a bubble MSA was. Yeah, you know, and once now right now in senior year when I'm taking a step back and I see it from the outside, mm-hmm. I realize that it's a very very closed uh, group of people, which yeah. is good in a way, but it's also harmful because it doesn't let anybody new. It doesn't. It, I said this. It doesn't lead to as much social growth as you could get. Yes. Because being on college campus, you have people from every single background, and that's one of the things I took away from you know talking to people was that because I wasn't really ever part. I was never part of one singular group. I was always part of this room, and then I would go out and talk to. I, I like talking to everyone that yeah. like I generally know. Yeah. So like I talk to you, I get a little bit of what you're doing. You've even tried to uh, multiple times like freshman and sophomore. You always <laughs> try to get me to come out, <laughs> and you know once or twice I did come out, but. You know, I just, I never, there's never a part of me that really felt it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, again, you were just doing, you know, your duty as a, a club member, as a, you know, fellow brother, trying to, you know, get me to come out. As your boy. As your boy, <laughs> as my boy. Yeah. And, you know, I would every once in a while, but, you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I just tried it out and, you know, I moved on. But it, it gave me an idea of, you know, what you guys do. And I, I mean, I, when I've gone there, it's like, I, I felt it. It was just like, wow, like, it's cool. Like, this is their community. It's just, wasn't for me as all well. right, right, and that's and that's fine, um, but I I'm realizing that, you know, as an MSA, as you know, it, it, part of Islam is to be uh, inclusive of everybody, no matter where mm-hmm. they are from, and I think now, that's a, that's a thing that a lot of people don't get. A lot of people who haven't at least you know met someone from an Islamic background, yeah, or don't know you know much about the people or the religion, they they think they're closed off because they're in those communities so often but I think they're in those communities so often just because it's easier and they have that support system yeah. in a culture that is again a little more closed off to it or it's like it's difficult to kind of do everything that you need to do yeah so that them already kind of being a little secluded I think it makes people think they are closed off whereas it's not that it's not one leading to the other you know what I mean it just happens to be this way uh, and the community itself is actually extremely open and you know, welcoming to people. And it's actually one of, like, the main teachings my mom would always tell me, and the religion itself says. Uh, but I think it's getting better over time. Like, I went, when I went to the prayer for Eid uh, at JMC, I saw so many, like, African-American uh, Islamic people there praying, and I was just like, wow. Like, I also saw, I saw an Asian dude. Yeah. I saw an Asian dude, and I was like, whoa, like, no way. Like, you're Muslim? Like, you know, it's, um, humans of New York came to the, that prayer. Right? Really? Yeah. I mean, dude, that makes sense. 12,000 people. It was an, it was, it was a, Jamaica High No, which which track? It was the Edison Field. I the think. Edison Field. Okay, yeah. okay. And it was packed. It was outrageously packed. I remember it was really hot. Yeah. And it was crowded. And it was sunny. I was it was I was sweating. I was too drenched. many brown people in one place. Yeah, too many, too many. And the traffic was outrageous after. But I mean, twelve thousand people coming together. That's not that's a, not a small feat. That's that's huge. That's yeah. crazy. What were we saying just now? <laughs> uh, I forgot what we were talking about before this. Uh, oh, it being closed off. So people not knowing how open the community is. Um, and, and, you know, I think, uh, I think it's getting better, but I think there's still a little bit of stigma. I mean, every, every group of people, every club on campus has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And because MSA is so broad, you know, it's Muslim, mm-hmm. it's, being a Muslim is so broad, yeah. it's very hard for a student organization to encompass and to market themselves right. to a, a wide group of people. And that's one of the challenges that all MSAs around 
Um, I mean, by definition, you're closing yourself. But you're technically closing yourself off because you know you're of this faith. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, I mean, when, during my presidency as well, like I had, there were some cl- complaints from past years mm-hmm. uh, that kind of piled up on my doorstep uh, about like African American brothers, especially sisters, mm-hmm. not feeling welcome in the MSA. Really? Yeah. And so, um, well, the brothers. Blessed because you know we would always play ball. We would be inclusive. We would go hang out, mm-hmm. movies, all that stuff. Um, and there was a lot of complaints from the sister sides. And so I actually sat down with one or two of them, and you know we had a one-on-one conversation. And um, they said, you know, some of the some of the sisters are very clicky. You know, mm-hmm. and that it's it's natural to be clicky, but. I think it's a little it's a little bit more prevalent in in the brown girl society. Right. Yeah, it is. I don't know why. I don't know how to explain it, but I've definitely noticed that. And and there's there's nothing wrong with that, but you can be clicky but also be accepting of people, mm-hmm. you know? And they might not fit into your group, but sharing some time, having having the decency to go out of your way and the attempt, like the attempt is worth trying, it, you yeah. know? And that's what she was, you know, hurt by. Um, but but now it's it's less mm-hmm. you know now the the issue has been kind of resolved mm-hmm. to extent but you know it is what it is yeah. yeah so I know we're on we're near very near New York um, and obviously we're in a college campus so it's kind of as liberal as it'll get so we definitely don't face as much of the uh, I don't want to use discrimination because that's not you know that has a negative connotation to it okay but kind of the uh, not knowing. Uh, aspect of it that I was talking about of of the religion and the people from the background. Um, do you think that during the Trump presidency run, you know, when he was going up for election, you know, putting on the bans on these countries, uh, when ISIS kept claiming all of these these terror attacks, right, uh, which they keep doing, and it pisses me off so much because <laughs> there is a very high probability that they're not doing any of them, and they're just claiming it for claiming it reasons yeah but do you think that during that time um you know when there's those neo-nazi uprisal when all this was happening and there's so much aggression i think in the country which i think has died down a lot i think it's gotten so much better but do you think you know during those months uh, did you feel an energy like a difference in energy in people yeah i did i did for 100 percent because now that's like a kick in the gut to the muslim community Mm -hmm. you know wake up it's it's like get involved you know mm-hmm. this hap- this could have been avoided but you guys were sleeping yeah you know uh, we have we have so many mosques around the country so many uh, community bases so many places to get our own people into government mm-hmm. but we're sleeping yeah you know and Trump becoming president is probably the, one of the greatest gifts to the Muslim community because it finally woke them up. It, it it banded all the Muslim communities together. Right. You know, against a common enemy, <laughs> you could say, you know? You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. You know? So all all the Muslim communities that had, like, beef with each other, like, you know, the Arabs and uh, the Egyptians and the Bengalis and the yeah, Pakistanis, yeah, yeah. whatever. It's like, these all, feuds, these feuds are nothing. Yeah. This is, we're fighting our own kind and, and you know, we're, we're not helping anyone in, in this situation. Exactly. It's like, Let's let this beef go. We have something bigger to deal with. Yeah. You know? And I think that was beautiful. And you could feel the energy. Just in just around JMC, you know, people proactively, little kids, you know, mm-hmm. like fifteen, sixteen year old kids started going around getting uh, you know, 
voter regi- registration forms, mm-hmm. getting people to sign up, mm-hmm. you know, so for the long run. So when the voting time comes a couple years down the line, that's when we'll be ready. Right. You know, they're starting now. And that's beautiful. And I think, I, yeah, that's honestly, I never thought about it like that. It's, I'm, I'm happy it's a, po- it's a positive uh, change. I mean, for me, I am a little distanced from the community, uh, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't feel it directly. But that's awesome to hear is is uh, I completely agree with you on the fact that I think the Islamic community and the the immigrants who have come, come here from Middle Eastern and you know, Asian countries uh, have never really played a political role in, in uh, you know local government whether it be national government I think it's because of the fact that they're they're immigrants yeah I think it has to do with it because my parents specifically like I know them like you know they're working to get money you know financial security uh, focus on the kids the development. And they don't really have time to focus on on government. And I mean, even me, like I never really had uh, any knowledge really on government or what was going on around me, locally speaking or nationally speaking, until I came to college because like my household didn't have any of that. But I think it's crucial that you play a role. You need to represent your community and you know get your voice out there and be heard. Yeah. So you know, it's it's kind of shocking. Um, I actually have more knowledge on. Bangladeshi politics and American politics, wow. you know, because because of just the community that you're yeah. around with, like you know, it's people just talk about back home, right? Mm-hmm. But they forget that this is home now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and to make this officially your home and to yeah, you know, you when you buy a house, you decorate it, right? Yeah, this is a decorating phase, right? I like that. It's a good analogy. Yeah, so Cause my mom's been decorating her house like nonstop. <laughs> we just moved in last year. It's just every time I go back, there's a new plant. Yeah. Like, do we really need this plant mom's like look at it it looks nice I'm like I, I, I guess <laughs> does, your, does your mom like uh, grow tomatoes and stuff in the backyard no we haven't started doing that yet yeah. but definitely will because our old house even in Queens we had what, like cucumbers tomatoes we had lao like with squash yeah. uh, we had uh, peppers mint like, we had mad stuff but it was a house in Queens so now we're now in Long Island so we have a lot of space in our backyard so whenever she's more ready but she's been dealing with a 4 year old 5 year old so yeah, it's it kind of takes a lot That's of time. That's your sister. Yeah, my sister's five now. Okay, wow. It's crazy, right? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was born sophomore year of high school, mm. I think. No, two thousand twelve. What is that? Yeah, sophomore year. Yeah, it's it's weird seeing her develop into like a person now. It's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, I talked to you about this a little bit when I was asking you to come on. Okay. Is your um, goal to go out to um- Umrah? So I want you to explain a little bit of, uh, you know, what Umrah is versus what Hajj is and why you've made the decision to go at such a young age, Wait, so, what I consider a young age at least. So um, Umrah is uh, different from Hajj. So in Hajj, right, there's only a certain time of the year you can go um, and you do a little bit more. While in Umrah, you only do, um, you can, Umrah, you can go anytime during the year. And there's only certain things you do. You go. You, I don't know if you know, but you go around the Kaaba. I, I don't know. Uh, like you know. So you do basically. You do like. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so I know what they do, but I don't know like the specifics of it. Okay. So okay, so I know like I've seen video because it's honestly mesmerizing. Like how many people, the congregation of the amount of people that are there. Yeah. Especially for Hajj, because Hajj is once a year. Yeah. Um. So it's just like uh, I don't know the numbers, but it looks like millions of people just you know walking around. Um. But I don't know the specifics of exactly what they're doing. So, um, actually, in Hajj, I don't know if you, there's a picture on Google, right? It's um, towards the end of Hajj, all of the people who are doing pilgrimage, mm-hmm. they gather in this place called Arafah, okay. Mount Arafah, right? 
and they spent the entire night there and there's a there's a drone picture of basically the entire mountain mm-hmm. and it's white because oh because people wearing the the robes yeah, yeah. and it's like dotted to to the dot it's like oh. about two million people there on that one mountain so it is millions of people yeah okay cool <laughs> that's, that's crazy yeah so it's it just so how far is the mountain from the actual mecca which is that the house of uh so that? it's it's like about a two days two days journey and they so do, do you so the process is you go to Arafah you go to the mountain you stay there and then you you do pilgrimage to Mecca no it's it's the other way around it's so, so you so go to you do you go to Mecca first you do your your stuff mm-hmm. and then you go to Arafah and that's the last day basically okay so so is there anything before going to Mecca so before going to Mecca so on the way to Mecca mm-hmm. right. Uh, you have to wear the ihram, the, the two pieces of cloth. Okay. And that's basically signifying that you're starting your pilgrimage officially. Mm-hmm. And so you can wear it. A lot of people, they wear it on the airplane before they land in Mecca. Great. And um, once you do that, you start making the, the circles around the Kaaba, around mm-hmm. the, 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 the house, house of God. House of God, yeah. And then you go into... Um, Walking between Safa and Marwa, which are two mountains. Okay. So what was it called? Safa and Marwa. Safa and Marwa. So that that's significant because um, we believe that Abraham, Prophet mm-hmm. Abraham, um, he left his his wife in the desert, and she uh, had a baby with him. Okay. And so she was looking for water, and so she would run between the two mountains back, back and forth. back and forth seven times, and in the seventh time, when she ran. She, uh, God basically mm-hmm. granted her um, from her, from her son's feet the the well of Zamzam, Zamzam okay. water. Okay, okay, that's why. Is that why? Like every time I know you know family members have gone to Hajj, they will come back with like the bottles of yeah. of water from there. So is that from like was it like a spring? Yeah, so it's it's a basically an, a a spring inside the ground, mm-hmm. and it has not been stopping giving water. Okay, so um, so for about fifteen hundred years, sixteen hundred years. Um, well, probably more than that, mm-hmm. right? This spring has been giving water nonstop, mm-hmm. and think about how many gallons of zamzam have been given to people all over yeah, the world. Yeah. You know, millions of people every single pilgrimage. And yeah, every single time I, I know, like they'll come back with like a good amount of water. Yeah, and every time I get sick and we have that moment, like here, drink some of this. Yeah, it'll, they, it'll it's like everything. it's our equivalent of holy water. Yeah. So, okay, so first part was. Wearing the the articles of clothing, uh, going then you go to the two mountains. So, yeah. so you walk back and forth to the mountains. Yeah. And then you go to Mecca for a prayer. So you do that. So like, how many like roundabouts are there? It's seven. Seven. Yeah. Okay. So to to signify Ibrahim's wife going back and forth. Yeah. So that's the for the mountains. Yeah. It, but but is it also seven for the revolution? Yeah, yeah. Like the rotations. Yeah. Around? Okay. Uh, and, and and there's a there's also like a bunch of other stuff. Uh, for Hajj, mm-hmm. there's like um, you know the stoning. Uh, is in a different place from mm-hmm. Mecca. Um, there's a stoning of like the three. There's like three pillars mm-hmm. that signify the, the devil, right. Shaitan. Okay. And you take rocks and you throw it at it, and it's a signification of that. Um, a lot of what our our forefather Ibrahim mm-hmm. did, and um, Hajj is Hajj is a very tough process. Um, yeah, yeah. My my uncle when he went, he went actually last summer, I believe. But when he when he went and he came back, he lost like a good amount of weight. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, he just told me he was exhausted. And and now it's getting easier because before you would have to walk mm-hmm. uh, the entire journey, but 
between the journeys now they're doing a train system oh yeah so it's, it's technology nice. they have a lot of money man they have a lot of money i mean uh, one of the main pillars of islam is donation so yeah. well i mean not even that just because of the amount of people that are going to pilgrimage or to umrah mm-hmm. like half pilgrimage basically mm-hmm. they're making billions of dollars okay right and but that always goes back into the the foundation itself yeah so they always do like a renovation they always do like they invest in the cleaning crew mm-hmm. you know because maintaining that huge site yeah is very hard you know and i just want to clarify something really quick for people who are listening is that when i mentioned donation it's not like i mentioned it in a bad way where it's like oh they're taking the money <laughs> and they're investing it's like that's a very good part of like the islamic uh, communities is that they'll invest in the growth of the community and a good example like really quick is uh the mosque by me, so New Hyde Park, uh, um, I forgot what the full name was, like, it was a Muslim, uh, I forgot what it's called, the New Hyde Park uh, mosque, though, I think it cost, with the land for the building, like, around four, four million, oh. Some, something outrageous, because it's so expensive in Long Island, but um, they only, I, I remember them saying, I think they only came out to around, like, fifty or $60,000 worth of debt after all the donations that were pulled together, and it's awesome, because it's a building that's used by so many people now whenever i go it's too many people now like the building they made it pretty big but even at that it's like there's so many you know muslim people around that it's overpopulated uh but yeah that's what you know donations go to the building of the community itself so that's a good thing and another thing um just going back to uh hajj and umrah um and besides Mecca, there's a city called Medina, okay. and that's known as the Prophet's city. Yeah, uh, because it's you know he lived most of his life there after he was banned from Mecca. Muhammad. Yeah, Muhammad. 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 Okay, not, not yeah. yeah. And um, so while while you're in Medina, you know I've gone to Umrah many times. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be like my fourth or fifth time, you know. And um, every time I go to Medina, it's very calm, very mm-hmm. peaceful. There's there's not a single place I've been to that's as peaceful as Medina, and okay. it's I can't put a finger on it like what it is. It's just how many times have you been to to Medina? Uh, three, just, four times. Three, four yeah. times. Okay. So did you go just with your parents? Yeah. Or? So all like you know, all my past events have been with my parents. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I'm going with just a friend. Okay. One of my close friends. So we talked a lot about Hajj. Now I want to kind of specify a little bit more on um, the difference between Umrah. So like. Um, I mean, from Hajj, which is a full pilgrimage versus Umrah, as you kind of mentioned, is like a half pilgrimage. Yeah. So like, what is the distinction between the two and why so, would you choose the so, latter? So Umrah, again, is during a certain period of time mm-hmm. and um, Hajj is expensive, right. uh, especially for a college student who has, who's broke, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying, to, trying to pay my debts. Um, so that's one, the, the cost factor. Two, the timing. Uh, during the summertime, it's very hot mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia. And just because we're on a lunar calendar, mm-hmm. Hajj is falling falling at summer probably for like another three, four years, right? And so that's going to be very tough to do. Um, that's number two, just the timing. And three, uh, the difference for me was, you know, uh, I'm going on Umrah with half of my money and half of my dad's money. Okay. And Hajj is supposed to be when you're... Oh, like, you're, like, fully accomplished, like, you're settled. This is it. From this point on, I know that my life is going to be, like, being a devout, uh, you know, Islamic follower. Exactly, yeah. And so Hajj would be on your own money, mm-hmm. you know. And there's nothing wrong with your dad sponsoring or anything. But, like, for me personally, I would want it to be, like, it's an like accomplishment. of that, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, like, I want it to be on my own money. So, okay. And and Umrah, the difference is, 
there's no stoning there's no um you know walking to arafah there's there's no like long journeys besides going from mecca to medina okay and it cuts out a lot of the the traveling mm-hmm. from hajj okay you know? so it, it seems right to call it health pilgrimage you're yeah. kind of experiencing part of the process but not all of it yeah yeah okay that makes a lot of sense so when are you planning to go on umrah uh march 8th i'll be flying oh that's soon yeah so how long are you going to be there i'm gonna be there the entire uh, spring break Hopefully. Oh, okay. That's a good. That makes sense. That's so I'll be plan. coming back on the 18th. Okay. So how is it going to be? It's going to be expensive. It has to be expensive. It's around like uh. Well, so the packages mm-hmm. were like two thousand dollars. Okay. And this was like for four people. Yeah, yeah. Like you're gonna share a room with three other yeah, people. Yeah. You know. And me and my friend, we just did the stuff on our own. We bought mm-hmm. the hotel separately and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It came up to like seventeen hundred dollars. And so we. That's saved, not that bad. And yeah. yeah, that's for two people. Yeah. So. That's not that bad at all. Yeah. Okay, a, lot of, uh, a few other questions just from my end because I'm un- uncultured in the religion, okay. which is sad to say, honestly, I kind of feel bad. But um, So I know one of the processes is uh, you have to shave your head, right? I think I think that's, if I'm, well, if I'm so not mistaken. For Umrah, you don't have to. Okay. Like, you can cut a little bit of, a lot of people, they just cut a little bit of their okay. hair. But for Hajj, yeah. Like so so why, why is that? It's like, I guess like six, I'm, not, I'm actually not 100% sure. Okay. Cool, but it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it's signifying like, you know, like new man, new beginning, okay, you know, okay. new life. Okay, so the second thing, do you have to grow out your beard? Because I know my uncle grew out his beard. And like a lot of my uncles who, who have gone, or like family members who have gone, have grown out their, their beard. Well, so, so, so what is, okay, so let's get into this for a bit. Break <laughs> <laughs> it down. So, um, what is the beard kept for? The beard is kept because it's a sunnah. A sunnah is a practice of the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? So a sunnah of a Prophet can be a thing he says, does, wears, you know, mm-hmm. anything, right? right? And a big uh, issue in the Desi community is that if you don't have a beard, you're not religious or you're not, you can't be a leader of prayer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the beard? A beard is just sunnah. That means it's not mandatory. This it's, is a plus. It's like a little check. It, on your, like, it, it looks nice. Yeah. A prophet used to do it. There should be, there could be some significance behind it. We don't know for sure, right? But at the end of the day, it's just something extra. Mm-hmm. What's more important than the outer exterior of being a Muslim is the inner exterior. Uh, the inner, you know, your per, the inner personality. The inner, person, the inner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the inner exterior. <laughs> so your personality is worth more, right? And the prophet even has sunnah on how to become a better person, right? And I feel like we as a community focus too much on the outer than the inner. We give more importance to the beard rather than being, um, you know, inclusive to right. all people. Well, I mean, right. it's getting very spiritual. I was just kind of wondering if you needed a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was a little. I, more, the question know. was a little bit more minimal than that. It was just right, like, right, do you right. do you need a beard? To, to go okay, so bottom line, you don't need. You a don't beard. need a beard. Okay, okay. I think it's funny because my mom will always mention it now because uh, I I always keep my beard. Yeah. Um, and she's been noticing, I think, you know, beards are in right now. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It, 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 just a couple of years ago, beards weren't really in. Like, it wasn't, like, fashionable to have, like, a beard or, like, a brolic beard. Um, she always says, like, all these people, like, they're, you know, going for Suno without even going for Suno. It's, like, a fashion thing, though, to, to get Suno. I'm like, I guess, like... Bro, think about how how baby you would look without your beard, man. Like, no, I tell people all the time. People don't believe me that when I, when I don't have a beard... I drop a couple years off. Like, if I went to, like, buy beer or something, um, 
they would 100% card me. Yeah. And, and with a beer, like, even when I was, like, 19, 20, like, if I'd go and I would want to buy something and I'd be 21 over, they wouldn't question me. Yeah. I, had Boy, you, I look like an infant without my beard, man. Yeah, like, yeah it's bad. But I, it's, it's interesting that it's just fashionable now. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, nice. Okay, I think that uh, I think that answers all of my questions. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot more than I thought I was going to learn, but I'm happy to learn because, honestly, like, I, I, you know, though my parents tried to teach me so much as uh, when I was younger as I was growing up I feel like I didn't absorb a lot of it just because mm-hmm. I had a you know I was younger and I had that just general disrespect towards you know learning something I didn't want to learn but I really regret that because even if I didn't put it into practice even if it you know didn't become an integral part of my life like I would have picked up in an entire culture and you know uh, just like societal like background of like all these people and known more of just like you know why uh I want to say we, but I'm not really that big. But I can't really. I feel like it's disrespectful to say we. But like what you know, the, the Islamic community does, and uh, I'm glad to have you here to kind of inform the people who listen, even though it's not that many people. But you know, inform <laughs> some of the people who listen on all these things. And just run really quick before we end on that note, um, you know, being a Muslim, right, uh, and learning more about Islam, I actually didn't learn a lot when at my young age. I just learned the the court principles right Mm -hmm. i got more into it when i was in my low times and i think that's very important because your brain you as a person learn through pulling your brain learns through pulling not Mm -hmm. through pushing like you know when you're younger you could have your parents could like try to push information into your brain but you're not going to pick it up if you don't want to pick it up yeah and so as you grow older as you want to learn more about your faith your your morals you need to uh, want it you know, genuinely from yourself, exactly. a genuine self-interest. You you have to question, and then your brain yeah pulls it in. So I think that's how I started to learn more. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm probably honestly like I was thinking about it earlier. It's like I've been trying to read more books. There's a part of me that really wants to read through a translation of the Quran because I've never read it fully, mm-hmm. just to you know know and understand some of the teachings, some of the stories. Because there awesome. are some great stories, like the story of Ibrahim you just said. Yeah. That's a you know it's, a, it's like a biblical same same thing. It's an yeah. you know archetypal story that explains you know uh, reasonings behind some of the things we do and why we do them. Yes, and it's awesome that you have that want. Yeah. You know, you know when you get older, you just want to learn. It's it's good. But yeah, on that note, thank you for being here. Sorry, you had to wait a little bit before <laughs> I got you in, but uh, it's good talk, and yeah, thanks. See you soon.